everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Krishnadas, and this is Nayaswami Mantra Devi. Welcome to you all, and especially those uh, viewing online. I'm going to be reading from Rays of the One Light, Weekly Commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Today's topic, The Inner Kingdom. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Most people imagine that the inner kingdom, as Jesus described it, lacks the fascination they attribute to sense life, the bright lights, the diverse attractions, the joys and the laughter. Little do they realize what a vast universe exists in their own selves. There are many passages in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible that describe aspects of this inner kingdom. In the book of Genesis, we read, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This garden was in no earthly place. It exists even now in the very self of every human being. The legend of Adam and Eve is allegorical. It describes how the first human beings dissipated their spiritual energy centered in the spine. The spine is the channel through which flows the river of baptism and of spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita tells us, the wise speak of an eternal Aswata tree with its roots above and its branches below. The tree of life spoken of also in Genesis is the spine. Its roots are above in the brain's energy. Its branches are the outward spreading nervous system. When the sap, which is to say the energy, flows downward, the consciousness is drawn into delusion. On the other hand, when the energy is drawn upward in deep meditation, the consciousness is drawn toward its eternal source, God, and is at last united with him. Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita therefore urges his chief disciple Arjuna to embrace the yoga science, the path of meditation. The yogi, he says, is greater than the ascetic, greater even than the followers of the paths of wisdom, jnana yoga, or of action, karma yoga. Be thou, O Arjuna, a yogi. For those who would find the divine truth, Krishna gives this description of the yogi. Steadfast a lamp burns, sheltered from the wind. Steadfastly meditating, solitary, such is the likeness 
of the yogi's mind, shut from sense storms and burning bright to heaven. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I don't really need that. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to also welcome all of you, all of our guests at the Expanding Light, and all of you joining us on the internet to service this morning. I'm going to start by reading from Whispers from Eternity. Spiritualize all our thoughts and ambitions. O infinite alchemist, spiritualize our weaknesses into strength and our wrong thoughts into right thoughts. Grow thou a flower of divine understanding from every seed of activity with the magic wand of foresight given by thee. Teach us to transmute the ugly imps of selfish ambition into fairies of all-serving noble aspirations. Train, Lord, each stallion of desire to become a champion racing for thine abode. Transfer all our base ignorance into the gold of wisdom that it become a liquid stream of spiritual gold rushing steadily to thy shore. This morning's topic, the inner kingdom. When Swami in the reading was talking about the kundalini energy and bringing that energy up. And many years ago, in about 2006, he gave a talk that was somewhat of an impromptu talk. It was before a talk that he was giving here, a satsang. And you could tell that it was an inspiration of the moment because he said it with a lot of energy and he said it with a lot of purpose. Like, this is something that I really need to tell you. And what it was about, he said, this is how you reach the state of Jivan Mukta. And then he said, what it's all about is that energy inside. And just like this was talking about, that, that if we get hold of that energy and get, we're able to control the inner energies, then everything outside of us will change. He said, you must realize that everything outside of you is a direct reflection of what's going on inside. And that if we, with great determination and with focus, get hold of those energies in our spine, he said the uprising, expanding energy and the down-flowing energy, we get control of those and that's how we change our destiny. That's how we manage to get rid of our karma and to work with it. He said, working with the reactive process, that process that is always keeping us going with the ups and downs and the ins and outs of this world. But that's why it's saying, be thou a yogi. A yogi is higher than anything else in the way of God-realization because the yogi is taking control of these energies and using them to change our destiny. And Swami finished by saying, well, these are rather subtle 
premises, and if you don't know yoga, forget that I even said this. <laughs> but, but he said, you know, this is all important. This is what we're striving for, is that um, ability to take charge of our lives on a really deep way and to realize that it's the inside of where everything's happening. Instead of saying, I take pleasure in that, or I'm out doing this, getting outside of yourself. A centeredness is very magnetic when we're centered. It's very unmagnetic when we're scattered, because we start, our energies all start going out, and it loses that power. And Yogananda said that the combination of Kriya Yoga and devotion is like mathematics. That that's where we'll get our self-realization from. Putting those two together, and then we have sure success. And he also said that the secret and the key to getting uh, rid of our karma is to get hold of that process again and to stop our karmic involvement that to let go of the attachments of the ego. And we've all heard this a lot, right? But that will help get rid of our karmic involvement. And why is that? He said that the ego, when it merges with God, then all the, from then on, all of the uh, actions that you perform will not come back to you. They'll not come back onto you. And it won't create any more karma. And so that's why when we let go of those attachments, when we go deeper in the spine and we're not so involved with what's happening out here, then that eventually will have mastered the trick of bringing that energy up and merging ourself with God. So, um, Master also said that the most important event in our life is our death. And... Because when we die, that's wherever our consciousness is, that's where our consciousness is going to be after that. And that that's where you'll enter the astral world, the next plane, is through that whole sort of, so to speak, of consciousness. And um, I was reading a book, I was rereading a book, I read it years ago, because it came out years ago, and it was, it's called... Um, I'm forgetting, um, Return from Tomorrow. And it's about by George Ritchie. He was one of the first ones to write some of these afterlife books and an uh, experience that he had. And it was in 1943, he was 23 years old, and he was in an army camp. And he was had been accepted into medical school, which was his dream come true, because they needed more doctors, so they were pushing them through. And, but it was very, very hard to get into the medical college. And, he, and they had said, well, we want you to do it because you've had a little bit of training. And he had about a week to go before he had to be at the college. The college was two or three days bus ride from where he was in Abilene, Texas, and he had to go to Richmond, Virginia. And uh, it was the 11th of December, and he came down with a fever and a really bad fever. And so they uh, hospitalized him. And all he could think of was, I have to get to the hospital when it starts, when school starts, I have to get there, I have to get there. And so in his state of delirium, you know, he kept trying to, to 
managed to get to the bus and uh, all these different things. And, and he would get better in a couple of days. He was a little bit better. And then he would get up and just collapse again in this fever. It was getting worse and worse and worse. Finally, the day before school was supposed to start, he was just, just I mean, practically um, desperate that he had to get out of there. And, but this fever had just really hit him really hard again. And he woke up in the middle of the night and he jumped up and, he, and just with the sole purpose is, I have to get on that bus. And he went out of the little cubicle that he was in and he's walking down the hall and he sees a sergeant coming in toward him carrying a medical tray. And um, he says, excuse me. And the man ignored him. And the man was coming straight at him. And, and just at the last minute, um, George said, oh, it's going to hit me, and he turned out of the way. And the man just ignored him. He said, well, I'm going to find my own way. And, and he went out, and he, he, I have to get to Richmond. And he went out of the building, and he found himself flying above the ground. <laughs> and um, and he's, he's not getting it yet, though. He's... <laughs> And his sole focus is to get to Richmond. And then at one point, he's, he's realizing, I better ask somebody for directions. And he found himself suddenly on the ground, and there was a man walking along, and, and he said, excuse me, and, and the man ignored him and went into a, a restaurant. And he put his hand out, and his hand went right through whatever is, is it. And suddenly he's starting to realize there's something really weird going on. <laughs> that Maybe it's not the other people, but it's him. And there's something very different happening. So then he thinks, he, he's starting to realize, oh, you know, um, where's my body? Maybe when he got out of bed, out of the cubicle, he looked back and he, he saw someone sleeping in that bed and he didn't recognize who it was. And so he goes all the way back and finds himself, as soon as he had that thought, he's on his way back to the hospital. But he can't find the body because he can't remember where the cubicle was. So he spends this long time until he finally recognizes the ring on, on this body's, one of the body's fingers, and he realizes it's him. And he said it was, it was a feeling of utter loneliness to know that there was my body and there was I, here was I, and, and you know, what's going on? And then this light started to come into the cubicle. And there was a man standing there that was just radiant with light. And George, in his mind, he had the thought, when he looked at this beautiful being, he said, this is the Son of God. And he just felt an all-encompassing love and compassion. And Jesus took him on a little journey. And first of all, they went into a city. And they, they were looking down, and, and the streets were crowded, just crowded with way too many people that could fit on the streets. And there were people doing all kinds of things, different, like, um, well, basically, he was realizing that some of them were disembodied spirits, and some had bodies. And in an office building, an older man was standing behind a younger man and he was yelling business advice to him and trying to grab the phone from him. But he couldn't, couldn't grab it because he didn't have a body, right? And 
and another a woman following her son down the street and, and telling him advice and saying, you need to put on a scarf and, and, you know, your wife isn't taking care of you and all these different things. And, and then there, he saw this happen several times. He would see somebody asking someone else, like one woman asking a man for forgiveness, please forgive me, please forgive me. And someone else trailing someone and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he said, Jesus, why are these people talking to people who can't hear them? And Jesus said, well, those ones, the ones who are apologizing and saying they're sorry and um, are suicide cases and they're chained to the consequences of their act. And that all these people were basically chained to their, to their um, attachment to the world. And then he took them into a bar. And in the bar, I mean, it just sort of really illustrates the point that there were people in there that were trying to uh, take drinks, but they couldn't grab the drinks. They're trying to smoke cigarettes, and they couldn't get at them. And, and people in there who were drinking and uh, when they would pass out then suddenly there would be a crack in their aura and one of these spirits that really were wanting to experience that through them would jump into their body and George is watching all this you know just in amazement that this could be happening then then he realized he realized this is hell this is hell where people with the burning desire to experience these physical vices are trapped in that area and that they can't get out. And then he, he went to a big field and there were all these people fighting, and, but they couldn't hit each other really. And, and just, you know, horrible things happening on this big field. And, and he's realizing that's what he's watching, is the hellish realm of self-attention, is how he put it or self-focus, however you want it. It's like my attachments, my desires, and, and these people, that's all they can see, that's all they can focus on. And then, as George, his, his um, consciousness must have been getting higher, a little bit lighter, because he said he couldn't see it at first, but then he started to see these light beings. And he saw all these light beings above this plane where all these people were, were um, totally focused on what they were doing. And each and every person had a light being above them ministering to them. Every single one, not one was abandoned. It's just that they couldn't see it. Not one person could see that angel above him. And um, George was starting to see that, that um, realm and so then Jesus took him to another realm and took him to a place where it was like a place of self-study. Or no, of study. It was a big university-type place. And they, um, all the people there, he said there was a hushed sense of expectancy, you know, of the excitement of learning about higher truths. And in this place, he said they were wearing robes and had, had cows on them, but they were just, just this... This um, love of learning and exciting things happening. And he said in this realm, there was such an energy of self-forgetfulness. That self-forgetfulness in learning the higher things. And, and that there was a big library. And in the library 
was the, the key to all the works of the universe. And in one, a smaller room was the uh, seed thought of this planet, of Earth. And then Jesus took him on. They started going again. And Jesus said to me, said, keep your focus on me. Keep your focus on me through all this experience. Keep your focus on me. And so they went to, uh, and they're starting to move again and travel. And he can see in the distance this beautiful, beautiful city. It was just so full of light. And, and he could just, he knew that the inhabitants of that city were just such bright light beings. And, and he knew intuitively, he said, these are the people that keep their focus on God. And two light beings started to come toward him. But as they started to come toward him, he and Jesus started moving further and further away. And pretty soon they were traveling and the city was off in the distance. And then they traveled back to the hospital and he was back in his body. So he wasn't ready to go there yet. He, was, he understood that Jesus could only tell him and show him as much as he could understand. So that's what he was understanding from that. And I thought it was so marvelous that, that it portrayed exactly the sequence of events, you know, as a soul goes through evolution. First of all, it's all my desires. It's what I want. It's, 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 we get caught in that physical desire and attachment to this plane. And then we go on to um, our attention goes outward and we start focusing on the higher truths. And then finally our focus on God, on God alone. And that's how we get in touch with this inner reality, this inner kingdom. What is the inner kingdom that is that they talk about in yoga? It starts right there, and then the outer will reflect that. And it shows so well with this story because everybody's reality was exactly what was happening inside. Exactly. And that's what we forget so often, is how much the... Um, inner reality is reflected by our outer reality. But um, sometimes as we pray, and we, here's a thought, when you pray, pray to God, pray for whatever it is you need help with, pray in God, is what Swami said one time, he said, don't pray to God, pray in God. And when you pray, think, what am I afraid of? What is it that I am afraid of happening? What is it that's stopping me? What is it that is blocking me from total happiness? What, what am I blocking? You know, often, I think when we pray, we want God to serve us rather than us serve God, right? And it's like, God, will you do this? Will you do this for me? I want this. This is how I think it should go. I was talking to a friend who lives on the East Coast, and um, she came to Ananda for a respite and a, a time, a couple of weeks of just really uh, getting centered and intuiting what's the next step. And she was in a big transition. And she's a very dynamic woman. She's a very good businessman, woman. <laughs> and um, um, she really has a lot of energy and is used to moving energy. And getting things done. And she was in the middle of, or in the beginning of starting a business. And thinking maybe to move out this area. 
and wondering what she should do. And uh, after about a week of her stay, she was feeling, well, nothing's happening. I'm putting out all this energy. I'm putting out uh, feelers for things to happen. And things just aren't panning out the way I think that they should. And then as we talked, and it became apparent to her that, you know, profound things were happening inside. Profound things. She was getting insights into herself. She was getting insights into her relationships. That, that the things that were supposed to be happening were happening. And that that is what was going to move the outer. That was going to remove the block. She realized that, what am I afraid of? You know, what is it that I'm blocking? I'm blocking God's uh, advice to me, for one thing, because I think it should be a certain way. And then she was able to relax more into the process and realize that there is so much going on that she didn't even realize. But uh, Yogananda said when he was a young man and he was in Sri Yukteswar's ashram and he found that Sri Yukteswar was an unrelenting master and taskmaster. And that Sri Yukteswar would constantly criticize him and constantly tell him what he was doing wrong and just wouldn't let anything go by. And um, Yogananda said, he said, when I abandoned the, the um, I abandoned all I'm losing the word that he said because it was so perfect. Um, All resentments. When I abandoned all underlying resentments, I found that his chastisements stopped. And then he said, in time, I was able to demolish all of the underlying um, rationalizations, the subconscious uh, views of things that the personality hides behind. Now, Yogananda was a master, and of course he did this to show us that this is, this is what needs to happen, being in a personality, being on this, this type of um, existence, is we need to let go of all that personality stuff that keeps us so bound. And um, there, a doctor's wife told a funny story of a woman who called the doctor in emergency and said, um, I have a fly stuck in my ear and I can't get it out. And so the doctor told her an old remedy and said, put warm oil in your ear and then um, lay down and the fly will come out with the oil. And she thought that was a good idea. And she said, um, but I have one question. Which ear do I put the oil in? <laughs> and, and, and of course, if she had thought about it, she would have figured it out. But isn't it true? Are we doing that to God all the time? You know? Well, should I be resentful and should I, should I hold on to this hurt and should I, should I, you know, hold on to my pride and should I compare myself? Should I feel bad about myself? Or should I love God? Should I um, expand my reality? Should I love others? I mean, we're, aren't we constantly doing that? We're always putting the oil in the wrong ear. And then we think... Why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? So that is, is the most important thing is our attitude with that, is keeping ourselves in the right state of attitude. 
And how do we do that? We do that by bringing the energy up. We bring that by focusing on God instead of ourselves. And I was reading this book. It's a wonderful book. It's called The Quest for God. And it's a book by Swami Ramdas. This is the same Ramdas that Swami Kriyananda talks about that came to visit Mount Washington. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And he, um, excuse me. When he, when he <clears throat> meant to, went to greet Ramdas at the elevator, this, this sort of little, little funny man with no teeth waddled out of the uh, um, elevator. And Swami Ramdas was such a wonderful soul. He was in midlife, actually. He suddenly had a revelation that suddenly all that existed was Ram. And he worked in this textile business and he, he dyed some clothes orange and, and got rid of his other clothes, wrote a letter to his wife and to his employer. And he went off for a year, the year in this book. He went off for a lifetime. But, um, and he talks about just everything is Ram. Everything is Ram. And at one point, he was so immersed in Ram, so immersed in God, that he didn't even call himself I anymore. He referred to himself as Ram Das. And he referred to everyone that he met as Sadhu Ram. And the Sadhu Ram did this, and the Sadhu Ram took me here and took me there. And he said at one point he was, he was on a train and there was a very strict ticket master because at that point sadhus were not being let to ride free on trains anymore. And so they came to the station and the ticket master pulled all the sadhus out and he lined them up and said, now stand here. And then he, there was, so there was about 10 of them. And... Um, one, the one nearest him was a young sadhu, and he had a jatta, which is a tuft of matted hair at the top of his head. And the ticket master would, would be taking tickets from people, and every time he had a little pause, he'd reach over, grab the tuft of hair, and shake him really, really hard, and, and then go back to taking tickets. You know? And then every time he'd get a little pace, he'd reach over and shake him really hard, give him a little cuff, you know, these, these no-good sadhus. And... Um, Ram Das is standing there close by the little sadhu and he looks at him and he sees this, this smile. Uh, he said he looked like he was enjoying it. And he, he said he looked very calm and contented. And then he, Ram Das thought, hmm, well, Ram Das would like a little taste of this pleasure of the attention of the ticket master. And so he asked the sadhu to change places with him. And, but the sadhu refused to abandon his enviable position <laughs> and, and he kept getting cuffed by the station master and then finally he took all the tickets and everything and he was done with that and um, he, so now he could put his whole attention on these sadhus so he came over with the thought of handling them roughly and, and um, Ram Das is thinking oh good, my turn is coming. I get to have attention from the, the ticket master. And he was just beaming. He said, oh Ram, oh Ram, you just bless your, your lowly servant. And the ticket master came up and grabbed his hand very firmly, you know, with the, he was going to do something to him. And he looked in Ram Dass's face and Ram Dass was just beaming. And he was just beaming with God's love and God's energy. And the, the uh, Ram Dass said, and the ticket master, 
he let go of my hand, and then he seemed to rethink things a little bit. <laughs> you know, that was the all-transforming love of him he had for Ram. And everything that Ram brought him, that was what was good for Ram Das. It didn't matter what it was. His heart was just completely open. And that's our choice, isn't it? It's our choice how much we're going to open our heart and how much we're going to live in God. And it, the more we do that, the more we just accept what's coming to us and don't try to resist it and don't try to outguess it and just say, okay, Ram, what is it you want from me now? Where should I go now? What should I do now? How can I love more? And I'm going to close just telling you about our little baby rattlesnake. And yesterday, um, or a day, night before that, Krishnas was out making a corral for our wood and he found a little baby rattlesnake. And so I went and got a little jar, a uh, sprouting jar, and it has a screen on the end, and we put the little snake in there. And so yesterday, I was sitting, getting ready for service, and I'm watching the little snake. And we, you know, we'll let him go, but we um, haven't got to that yet. And <laughs> I, found, I found that um, I was, I, instantly I had this great affection for this little snake. And there he is, he's, and he's very reactive. You know, you go near him and his little tongue starts coming out and, and, and his body starts moving and his head goes up and, and he starts waving his tail. Well, he's only got one rattle, so <laughs> he doesn't really rattle yet. And, 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 but he gets very agitated. And, and um, then I had given him, put some water in there and he drank some water. And I don't think he has to eat because... The middle of his body's pretty fat, so I think he had a meal. But lucky, I don't have to feed him any live things. But, um, but this little, little rattlesnake, I mean, he's just adorable. And, and I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, this is how God is. He's so much more expansive than us, and he must look, look down at us, or, I don't know, up, down, wherever, and think, hmm, reactive little things, aren't they? <laughs> they just get so agitated. They think, they think that something is going to hurt them. And, and here, here's this little snake. I'm not going to hurt it. And, you know, God's saying that to us. I'm on your side. I'm helping you. I'm, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm going to give you your freedom. And all you have to do it's just open your heart and love me more. And so just opening our hearts and loving more. God bless you, friends. <laughs>